It's a big day for the information police. Well, we've had a number of very interesting things come out today. The Yale Law School put out a memo about their new policies. Holden Thorpe, the editor-in-chief of Science Magazine, a premier journal, has put out thoughts on Joseph Ladapo, the Florida Surgeon General under Ron DeSantis. My good friend and colleague, Dr. Man John Mandrola, has a piece in Medscape about policing misinformation. And all of these things actually intertwine and tell a story, and it's, it's actually quite interesting. So come along with me as I walk you through these events and my thoughts on it. This is a story, I think, about science, politics, misinformation, and how they all intertwine. So first, Yale. Now, I don't know all the details, but I remember something about a series of disruptive incidents at Yale Law School. One, there was some speaker who had some view that the majority of the students didn't agree with, and they shouted that speaker to the point where that person couldn't give the lecture. There was another incident where some student circulated a call for a after-school party. He used a, a phrase, I think that specific phrase was trap house, that other members of the community found insensitive or perhaps uh, an inappropriate term. I don't know much about these terms. I'm an old person, you know, but I really don't know much about these terms and whether or not they are the correct term or not the correct term. But the key issue was that it was escalated to the level of the dean of students who took a strong stance that this kid should apologize and put her thumb, I think, on the scale. And they didn't like that because that made it a academic issue and people sought the Yale University to be the referee of whatever dispute it was about language. So in in response to this, Yale Law School issues this memo that Nick Christakis, I think a great defender of free speech on college campuses, has, has tweeted. And I'll read you, I think, the select parts. Yale Law School is dedicated to building a vibrant intellectual environment where ideas flourish. To foster free speech and engagement, we emphasize the core values of professionalism, integrity, and respect. These foundational values guide everything we do. Over the last six months, we've taken a number of concrete steps to reaffirm our commitment to free and unfettered exchange of ideas. Last March, the law school made unequivocally clear that attempts to disrupt events on campus are unacceptable and violate the norms of the school, the profession, and the community. Well, that's good. Actually, that's really good. So that if there's a talk that you don't like, you don't have to go. And to be honest, the easy way to kill a talk and a speaker you don't like is if nobody goes, nobody will want to listen to that. That's what we did when I was in college. If there was something boring, and by boring we considered most educational events to be boring, we just wouldn't go and it'd have, a, it'd have a thin crowd. But these days they want to go, put a big energy into making a big scene. And so they're saying that's not allowed. Next, the faculty revised our disciplinary code and adopted a policy prohibiting surreptitious recordings that mirrors the policy of University of Chicago and other peer institutions that have put in place to encourage the free expression of ideas. I think that's also good because you don't want somebody out there recording every little thing and putting a little snippet out uh, on, on YouTube to rile up the mob about whatever somebody may have said taken out of context. And to be honest, this is something I think comedians do. Uh, the comedian Dave Chappelle makes people put their phone in some sort of, you know, unopenable bag during the course of the performance. And then afterwards, you can take your phone back. We developed an online resource outlining our free speech policies and redesigned orientation to center around discussions of free expression. That's good. And finally, we welcomed a new dean of students who is focused on ensuring students learn to resolve disagreements among themselves whenever possible, rather than reflexively looking to the institution to serve as referee. 
See, we want to create an environment where people can disagree about substantive issues. Maybe somebody thinks, you know, the right number of boosters is however many we got plus one or whatever gives Albert Borla a new yacht. And other people think the right number of boosters is whatever maximizes um, or minimizes uh, risk of hospitalization or death, but not more than that if it adds risk and that needs to be determined in randomized control trials. And you want to have that dialogue. That's good. Um, and you don't need the university to come and say, like your mother, who's right and who's wrong and settle every conflict. You're all adults. You're grownups. You can sort it out amongst yourselves. That's the Yale code. And I like the Yale code. I like it a lot. I think every university should model the code of Yale and University of Chicago. And if they don't, I think they face a deep philosophical challenge. They risk losing what makes universities great, which is that smart people people who are willing to let their mind challenge status quo will naturally have views that at some periods of time are considered unpopular, but they may ultimately be vindicated and you want to let them have at least a fair fight. They may ultimately lose too. Let them lose, but let them have a chance. Don't try to use mama, mama university to quench their opinions from the outset. Totally agree with this philosophy. But let me read you simultaneously what the editor-in-chief of Science Magazine says. And this is really important. Science, Nature, New England Journal, JAMA, Lancet, these are very neutral scientific journals. They obviously have a point of view about healthcare being good and delivering good healthcare being the goal of medicine. You know, medicine should work. They have some sort of general views. But insofar as possible, they should avoid taking, I think, nakedly partisan stances because they don't want or they shouldn't want to alienate some of their audience which may include some scientists who are of the other political party. And the other thing I think is really important was, you know, many years ago, many of these journals put out the statement endorsing, like, you know, I forget if it was Trump Biden or Trump Hillary, but they basically said, don't vote for Trump. You know, they, they, New England Journal had something like that. And I think Nature had something like that. And at the time I was critical of it because I just thought that I can't imagine you're flipping a lot of votes. You know, can you imagine that person who's like, it's gotten to like mid-October and they're like, hmm, should I vote for Hillary or Trump? And let me look in New England Journal of Medicine. Oh, who do they endorse? There's nobody like that, okay? Uh, people have already decided. And if they haven't decided, they're certainly not going to be persuaded by the Nature or New England Journal editorial. So it's probably not going to change many votes. Even if you think it's really important, it's an important election. You're really, the gain has got to be close to none. But what you lose is you lose the credibility of being a neutral platform that's arbiter of science and not a partisan involving itself in politics. You lose that. So science is really important. I think the editor-in-chief of science should be very, very careful not to put his thumb on the scale in a nakedly partisan way unless he has exceptionally good reason to do so. Um, and, and this is different than me, an individual professor, because I've written things very critical of the Biden administration. And I write that actually from the point of view of somebody who is a Democrat and a progressive. And I do that because I like to criticize whoever is in federal power. You can go back and pull my Washington Post editorial with Zeke Emanuel that's critical of Trump's rhetoric around hydroxychloroquine, which I thought didn't really work and definitely needed a randomized control trial before anyone said it worked. And I wrote that in the Washington Post when he was president that it set a bad example and was bad regulatory precedent. And I've been equally critical that promoting the endless boosters based on mouse data and not human data and not running randomized trials is something that enriches Pfizer, but doesn't actually necessarily look out for the best interests of Americans. And so I'm equally critical of federal powers. That's what I like to do. But I'm not science. I'm not nature. I'm just one person. Just one person with one opinion. And I don't 
speak on behalf of a, a journal that goes back a hundred years. You know, I don't have that on my shoulders. So he has, I think, a different duty than I do, just as I would have a different duty if I was the president of Harvard. Or, you know, I would have to at least have some institutional responsibility. Okay, so that's a key difference. But this is what Holden Thorpe writes as the editor-in-chief of science. I'm going to read you this. This is about Joseph Ladapo. But before I say that, let me just say something about Joseph Ladapo. Who is Joseph Ladapo? Joseph Ladapo is a health services researcher and uh, practicing doctor. He's an MD, PhD. He earned those degrees, I believe, from the Harvard Medical School. He was most recently on the faculty of the University of California, Los Angeles. He's published a number of papers in health policy before COVID-19. Um, to be perfectly honest, I, I hadn't familiarized myself with his work. Um, I had seen he had written a number of commentaries early in COVID-19 pandemic, some about some of these drugs that I have always personally been quite pessimistic about. I don't think any of these uh, drugs that were offered in the first quarter of 2020 were very promising. And I've always said that I think drugs should not be used in severe COVID unless you do randomized control trials. I've been very critical. People in Mount Sinai, they're just sort of pouring anticoagulants in patients without any controlled study. And it turned out that they you know, made a mess of things because we actually could do a few studies months and months later to sort out that actually anticoagulants don't work for lots of people in the hospital, people who are very severely ill or people who are like not that sick, they don't have to go to the ICU. But Sinai, they, you know, ran an uncontrolled experimental study and did great damage. It's a big fiasco for Mount Sinai and Valentin Fuster and colleagues. Joe Ladapo then um, had a number of commentaries early in the pandemic. Uh, he's a health services researcher. And then throughout the pandemic, I think he had stronger stances on masks and lockdowns. And I think those stances actually have probably aged quite well. And now many people do wonder about the efficacy of mask mandates and lockdowns and those kinds of policies. He went on to go work for Ron DeSantis as the Florida Surgeon General. And I've asked people who worked at UCLA, what is it like to work with Joe Ladapo? And they said Joe Ladapo is a smart guy. He's done good work. Pre-COVID pandemic, people would say he's brilliant. But because some of his points of view happen to align with the political party that, you know, most academics are not a part of, you know, people are feeling a little bit differently. That's what that's what my sources from inside UCLA tell me. And I got to admit that we have to admit, I think, that in a lot of universities, Republicans are an endangered species. I, I say that on Twitter. I think it's true. Most of us are Democrats in the universities. That's just the bias of academic medicine. So it is very tempting to referee scientific debates as political debates and it would also be you know a little bit unfair because there's a huge tilt within the academy okay so having said that this is what he writes about joe ladapo joe ladapo became the Flor the surgeon general of florida and a faculty member of the university of florida college of medicine he has continued to spread dangerous misinformation about covid19 while his academic colleagues are shamefully silent all right so i mean you know the first thing i say is come on the misinformation you're gonna have to really prove you know, what they're saying that's incorrect. And I think it's almost unhelpful to say the word misinformation anymore. It's been so overused. It just merely means information you disagree with or you're not ready to hear. And then people call that misinformation. So I'm going to wait to see what he actually uses to justify this with. Many assumed that Ladapo's faculty appointment was a result of political pressure by the university administration as it aimed to please Florida Governor Ron DeSantis. Now that kind of sentence just shouldn't be in, a, in the journal Science. Um, it's really inappropriate because uh, he is a professor of medicine at the University of Florida. The dude has an MD PhD from Harvard and his last employer was UCLA where he's an associate professor. So you can't make it seem like he was only getting that job because of political favoritism when, you know, he's pretty well qualified. I mean, 
got an MD PhD from Harvard in health policy, and he is a practicing health services researcher. And before he talked about anything in the pandemic, he was an associate professor at UCLA in the Department of Health Policy and General Internal Medicine, I believe. And that's a really good department. So like by any objective measure, he would be more than qualified to work at University of Florida. And no offense, he would be considered a great a great acquisition by University of Florida. In fact, one can imagine he would get the red carpet because he would be a coveted recruit. So and this is what he's saying in Science Magazine. Many assumed. How many? He's got no study that says this. This is just like shit he's saying with his friends at dinner. I mean, come on, dude. I mean, you can't say this in Science Magazine. You have to have standards, man. You should be able to cite a reference that says what percent of people assume this or, you know, and, and it's really not appropriate. I mean, even if you disagree with everything the dude says, you really think he got the job only because of like the University of Florida professor job? Not the not the Surgeon General job. Like that's the that's the unique job. The University of Florida professor from UCLA. I mean, come on, MD PhD Harvard. I mean, it's probably not a stretch. Okay. It is unsurprising that anti-vax DeSantis wanted a Surgeon General with anti-science views. I mean, that's what. He, come on, this is science. You have to like. That's really strong. Can you really support? Anti-vax DeSantis? Is he really? I I mean, you can be critical of some of his policies around vaccination, but to like call him anti-vax DeSantis? And then a Surgeon General with anti-science views? Is this guy anti-science? Like he doesn't even believe in science? He's a flat earther? What is this? But it was shocking. The medical school accepted Ladapo as a colleague. That's not shocking. Dude, the dude is very well qualified. Even more shocking was a statement from the university president in Tampa Bay Times confirming that Ladapo was voted in his position by faculty and approved through the usual procedures. That's not shocking. He's a black man, MD, PhD from Harvard who's on the faculty at UCLA, and he's being hired by Florida as a professor. Of course he's going to get the job. What are you talking about? This is the academy. This is a coveted recruit, man. Like, if you put aside his COVID policy, there should be no doubt that this dude is, should be getting the professorship in Florida. What are we talking about here? Do you know how few people have MD PhDs from Harvard? Even I don't have an MD PhD from Harvard. Come on, man. He's well qualified, okay? In his own defense, Ladapo told Politico that he was disappointed with the criticism because good science requires respect for all perspectives. It's okay to disagree, and I've had no problem with disagreement, Ladapo says. But what has been really disappointing is how disagreement has become a ticket or a passport to activate personal attacks. I mean, he's putting his finger on it. Like, he's literally telling you what the, the issue is. No one would disagree that personal attacks are out of bounds, says Holden Thorpe, but his depiction of science is off the mark. Unequal perspective do not deserve equal time, and challenging scientific consensus requires evidence that has been subjected to peer review and published with all the data disclosed so the scientific community can replicate the findings. Well, you know, I kind of agree with Holden Thorpe a little bit that, like, if we're going to have a debate on a very contentious issue, you should really advance the argument in the peer review literature first. And that's actually what I actually personally believe in and, and try to do in, in the 400 plus papers that I've published. Um, and I'm going to do it with the number of COVID-19 things that I haven't even yet said because I'm waiting for those articles to be published so I can really press my case. Um, but I'll put an asterisk next to some of what he says. All of the d data disclosed so scientific community can replicate the findings. Um, last I checked, his own journal doesn't demand that. There are many science papers I read, and I want to know, you know, in the Bangladesh mass study, some more raw data, but that's not always available to me. And, you know, somebody out there, do an experiment. Just take the last 100 science papers and email the authors and ask for the data set. And let's see if Holden Thorpe is practicing what you preach. You're not going to get, I doubt you'll get a, a tiny fraction of those data sets. So that's a requirement that's beyond what I think is the conventional norm. Um, and, you know, 
we're going to come back to this, but there are other other political figures who are using non-peer-reviewed, not good research, and they're not getting an editorial in science. We'll come back to that. Quote, Ladapo has tried to initiate a scientific debate on Twitter about the study, saying, quote, I love the discussion that we've stimulated. This move is paid from page one of the anti-science playbook. What are you what are you saying, man? To say I love that we, I love having a debate, that's page one of the anti-science playbook, but it's also page one of the academic debating playbook. Like, I mean, what are you talking about? Like just saying that, you know, I like to debate and have a discussion, that's not anti-science. And in fact, one would imagine that this sentence is a little bit crazy. I mean, to me, I'm just being honest. Like if you actually say, I love the discussion we've stimulated, quote, this move is from page one of the anti-science playbook. That's a non sequitur. I mean, if I said, I love, I love that we're having this great discussion about, um, you know, about coefficients of determination um, and uh, surrogate validation studies, and you say, that's, the st- that's exactly what those anti-science docs say. I'm like, oh, really? They talk about, okay. Um, a credential scientist from outside the field, Ladapo is not an infectious disease specialist and has never treated a COVID-19 patient. The second thing is, I'm not actually sure if that's true or not. I don't know how he would know. Um, and uh, I personally, as a hemonc consultant, I'm often consulted for COVID-19 patients, um, and uh, uh, and he may not have, he may not be an ID doctor. Um, but uh, last I checked, um, Ashish Jha, hmm, he's not an ID doctor, and I wonder, has he treated many COVID-19 patients? I don't know, I don't know. And more importantly, do you think it might be possible that a smart person in policy might actually have a useful thing to say about COVID-19 policy, even without having been an ID doctor or treated a COVID-19 patient. Might that be possible? And if it were so important, shouldn't all the people on the White House Council who are making the policy, shouldn't they all be doing a half-day clinic and COVID-19 clinic just to keep up with the skills? And shouldn't they just not hire any MDs or, I, or people outside of ID? This is really, I mean, you really, you really wouldn't say this if it were your team. I mean, you're really, it's really kind of stupid to say. I just can't believe this is inside. This is, I mean, again, I'm not saying, this is not a blog post. If this dude wrote this blog post, I wouldn't be doing this video. This is the editor-in-chief of Science, which is one of the four most cited journals and the premier journals that goes back hundred of years. And this guy is doing something that I think is really ruining, ruining his journal for decades to come. He is nakedly political and it is going to bite him in the ass so bad, which is the last part of my commentary. But I want to finish reading what he says. Until the scientific community deals with misinformation from within, he cannot expect to deal with it from without. From, from without? Shouldn't it be from outside? Okay, anyway. Did he really say without? <laughs> it really doesn't, read, doesn't even read right to me. Okay. Um, what are my broader thoughts here? One, um, I just want to point out that, this is what I said on Twitter, as a Democrat, and again, I think it's important that, that I say this because it is true <laughs> that, that I, I'm not saying this as a partisan. I'm just saying this as you really can't use the editor-in-chief position of science to just pick on the Surgeon General who happens to work with the guy from the party you don't like. And to be honest, it's really even worse than that because why are they just picking on this guy so much 
and saying all these crazy things like he shouldn't even be a professor at the University of Florida. A place like the University of Florida, you don't get to be professor there with just two doctorates from Harvard. No. No, I mean, come on, man. Of course you can be a professor in Florida for two doctorates. They're picking on this because DeSantis is obviously, you know, a very promising candidate to be president. And this feels very petty and vindictive. Meanwhile, this particular study in question is about cardiac deaths in, in kids of a certain age. But there's a broader scientific question. And I don't want to talk about the particular study and all the intricacies. I want to talk about the broader question, which is how many shots does a young man between the ages of 16 and 20 need? Zero, one, two, three, or four? That's a question. And that's a real scientific question. And every time they get a shot, there is a non-zero risk of myocarditis. It varies by product, Moderna more than Pfizer. It varies by how close you stack those first two doses. It varies by, possibly, by the sequence in the mRNA. But we wouldn't know that because we don't yet have that for the Omicron variant. And what is the benefit to the young man? The benefit might be a reduction in hospitalization. It might be a reduction in other COVID outcomes or complications. It might be a reduction in death. Those might be benefits. But that might vary based on one, two, three, and four doses. Maybe you get a bunch of the benefit from the first couple doses and diminishing benefits from each additional dose. It's quite plausible that that might be the case. But the myocarditis might be highest with dose two, and it might not go to a floor with each subsequent dose. In fact, that's what Katie Scharf's paper shows. So to have a discussion on what's the right number of doses is very scientifically legitimate, and Ladapo is participating in that discussion. He has entered one piece of evidence in the discussion that has been criticized for some legitimate and some illegitimate critiques of that. And that's fair. That's part of science. That's fine. There are other people who have entered arguments in the discussion that are also flawed. There are people, including some people quoted in this article, who have previously used myocarditis rates in the whole population, including men and women from 8 to 80. That's pretty stupid because you can tell a 20-year-old man apart and you should only use the myocarditis rates in that target subgroup. So that would be arguably, in my opinion, that's misinformation because you're bearing the safety signal in all people. And would, but they're not writing editorials about that. And then the last thing I would say is this. So this is discussion is live. Ladapo is perfectly entitled to have an opinion on this and we actually don't know the answer. And there's one more complexity, which is once you have had COVID and recover from COVID, maybe the risk-benefit changes a bit. Oh my God, could that be possible? Of course it could be possible. This is a legitimate discussion. This is a debate that needs to be had, not quelched by the editor-in-chief of science. Meanwhile, there's another person I know. Here, here's what Holden Thorpe says, quote on Twitter. A credentialed academic enabling political actors to undermine science by pushing unvetted pseudoscience is page one of the anti-science playbook. Now, who's a credentialed person? Well, maybe former dean of the, Brown, of the Brown School of Public Health. And if he went to work for a politician, maybe Joseph Biden, and he tweeted an article that, as far as I can tell, didn't undergo peer review and was perhaps grievously flawed, well, then that might be exactly the kind of thing Holden Thorpe is talking about. But did that ever happen? Oh, my goodness, it did happen. And this is an article I've written on my Substack says, if you were in charge of White House COVID policy, you need to know the difference between bad science and good science. John, others push a flawed study, haste, ignorance, or malice. And this is the tweet. An analysis by Michael Zinn highlights pretty compelling stuff done using electronic health records of hundreds of thousands of folks with COVID. They find for folks over 50, no matter your vaccine status, Paxlovid reduces the risk of hospitalization. And then what we point out is that that analysis is unadjusted. 
That means they're not adjusting for any variables. They're not adjusting for race or comorbidities. They're not adjusting for anything. This is in the world of science. The, I believe the technical term is it's, it's, um, it's quite shitty. I think that's the technical term. It's so bad that a high school student doing a high school science fair would probably not even qualify with this piece of scholarship. And Ashish Jha is retweeting it to his crowd. And then I say, an unadjusted analysis is compelling stuff, really? And then so many other people pile on. Waleed Jalad, quote, this study says nothing about what Paxlovid does. It is purely descriptive and should not be disseminated like implying anything causal. It's really important we get this issue right of what impact Paxlovid has in unvaccinated people. This tells you nothing, unfortunately. And Alistair Monroe, imagine submitting this to a journal. I cannot tweet about this anymore. I need to cool off. Because Ashish Jha is amplifying pseudoscience, unadjusted analysis that's not fit for any real journal. But Holden Thorpe doesn't write a whole editorial about the blue guy. He's only writing about the red guy. And that's the problem. The problem is every actor in this space, from the person who's pushed cloth masks on two-year-olds to the person who said mask mandates help to this person, I think every single point of view has had some bad study. Even some point of views that I like. I believe schools should have been opened. But there are some studies that support school opening that are bad. I believe myocarditis is a problem, but there was an Ottawa study that was bad, and I never tweeted it because I could smell it was crappy. I tweeted the Mandrola Beth Hogg paper because that was good, and that was validated because it was actually been published in Bureau Journal, and everyone shut up about it because the CDC estimate drifted to what they had said. So that's the difference. I actually think I do, I've never promoted a paper that's bad because I read everything before I tweet it. See, I don't think all these people read before they tweet. I think Waleed Jalad also has never promoted a paper that's bad because he reads everything before he tweets. But I don't think all these, all these commenters read everything. But many people have. Some are red, some are blue, some are politically neutral, some have point of views that favor lockdown and masking and vaccine boosting in perpetuity, and others have point of view that go the other direction. But the word misinformation is selectively applied to people who are red and have points of view against or critical of lockdowns, vaccines, uh, not vaccines, but perpetual boosting, uh, and, and masking two-year-olds in perpetuity. That's where we label a, a misinformation, but the other side we don't. And so Holden Thorpe had a great opportunity for a credentialed academic, a sheesh job, promoting an unadjusted analysis that is garbage. But he didn't say anything about it. So he makes Science Magazine, this journal that should be covering the Big Bang and, and, and mTOR signaling into this political journal that really hates Ladapo and calls anti-science Ladapo for anti-vax DeSantis. So partisan, nakedly partisan. Ashish Jha does the exact same, not the exact same, Ashish Jha promotes a very flawed study exactly as Holden Thorpe says the crime is and Holden Thorpe says nothing. It's incredibly incredibly one-sided and it's really bad and I think we don't I don't think he even fully appreciates just how bad it is that he's so nakedly partisan it's no secret Republicans are an endangered species in the academy and I think things like this are saying and what is he saying in this article he's actually saying the University of Florida needs to act upon Ladapo they need to act he's doing exactly the thing that Yale said we don't want you to do be a big boy and talk it out amongst yourselves. Don't come to Mama Yale to settle your little squabble. And Holden Thorpe, the editor-in-chief of science, is saying, please, University of Florida, stop him. Why did you hire him? He's only a double doctor from Harvard who was with faculty at UCLA. Shouldn't have even been hired in normal circumstances. Get over yourself, man. Are you crazy? Of course he should be hired. Of course he should be more than well qualified. Um, 
he's appealing to the university to arbiter this dispute. He's free to publish, and he's, I'm sure they're publishing some garbage study that says the myocarditis always, is always mild. And then, you know, they cite that Lancet paper that showed, and I've covered it on this channel, that it is not always mild and that some kids are still on exercise restriction and they're still popping beta blockers and furosemide, which doesn't sound to me quite mild, but are, are fully resolved when I'm still popping furosemide. Be that as it may, they say that, that it, they have their own little narrative. They're happy to do that, but they also want to go the extra step and get University of Florida to referee Ladapo, just like Yale says they don't let the, their, their, little, their students uh, do. So in other words, why do students learn that Yale has to referee the little email listserv um, uh, invitation to a party that said trap house and they all go to Yale and say, we need to can this kid. Why do they, where do they learn this behavior? You see Holden Thorpe, editor-in-chief of science, going to Florida asking them to do something about Ladapo. You know, that's where, it's, that's where this sort of pathetic culture of going to the institution comes from. Um, but back to the science issue. Science has to be apolitical. It has to be. Uh, it, it is understandable that it can be pulled in political directions. Uh, I think everyone thinks it's the other side that's doing it. I don't think they realize that they're doing it too. Both sides are doing it. Um, that the more you deny that myocarditis in 20-year-olds is an issue, the more you say that there's no way we should alter the vaccine pathway for that age group, the other side sees an opportunity to seize on it because they think you're stupid and then they make it their political issue. So just, I think, further polarizes this. Um, I think Holden Thorpe can either choose to be a pundit or the editor-in-chief of science. He shouldn't be doing both. And he's going to take the reputation of science and run it into the ground. Um, by doing this and selectively crying misinformation when it's your political opponent that promotes something that you think has limitations, but not crying misinformation when Ashish Jha retweets a piece of garbage, that to me is hypocrisy. Crying to the university, University of Florida, that they shouldn't have hired Joe Ladapo, that to me is one nonsensical. Uh, black man, two degrees from Harvard, UCLA professor, uh, well-respected, been called brilliant by his peers, but then happens to take COVID-19 positions, some of which I think have been fully vindicated like schools, others of which I disagreed with at the time, like hydroxychloroquine, and I still disagree with. But uh, to say a guy like that shouldn't even be on faculty and was only hired as a favor to DeSantis, that to me is crazy. Um, to say that calling for a debate or a discussion about the broader question of how many shots the, an adolescent man needs is um, the opening playbook of anti-science. Uh, that to me is a, a ridiculous statement to say uh, because it's also the opening playbook of science and like reason. Uh, saying that many people say when you don't have a reference is not appropriate for Science Magazine. And even selective, even even talking about this is not appropriate for Science Magazine. I mean, do you want to be the place that talks about the Big Bang, the mTOR pathway, sequencing the human genome, um, the best randomized trial to date on masking, which has limitations? Or do you want to be the place that's getting down in the trenches and engaging in petty partisan politics? You can't be both. You are pissing away your credibility, and you're probably not changing anyone's mind because you're just confirming people's view that you are a petty partisan actor. And if anything, they're going to be less likely to trust Science Magazine going forward if you are of the different political side. Uh, I'm not. I'm, I'm actually on this side, actually, politically. And somebody asked me, you know, in the thread, um, you know, you don't sound like you're, um, 
you know, a Democrat. Why are you a Democrat? Are there any, what are the issues that you align with the Dems on? I was like, I don't know. And I just put a list out here, the issues that I align with them on. Abortion, marriage equality, Supreme Court reform, the Chevron doctrine, Medicare, social security, drug price reform, taxation, wealth taxation, environmental policy, educational reform, legalizing marijuana, immigration, criminal justice reform, uh, regulating social media, monopoly, voting rights, and all of those things with some nuance, but there are a number of things I do align with them on. But this is crazy. You are just nakedly political. And as far as I can see, there are very few people who are actually trying to thread this needle in a non-nakedly political way. Um, Willie Jalad, I texted him and I said, he is one of those people. But Holden Thorpe is not, and that's not good. And if anything, you know, he says, Holden Thorpe says University of Florida needs to rein in Ladapo. I would say, if you know Holden Thorpe, tell this guy he needs to get out of his bubble, man. The majority of country has not vaccinated their kids under five. The majority of the country is not eager to get a booster that was tested in eight mice. I'm not just the majority. We're talking like 90 plus percent of people on both of these issues. It might be possible that the many people who say Joe Ladapo wouldn't have gotten that job are just the unique subset of crazy people he surrounded himself with at his dinner party. Or maybe they don't eat because they all wear the N95. I don't know. I don't know if that's what happened. But maybe he should get out of his box a little bit and meet some people who disagree with him on these significant political issues or policy issues who are not nakedly partisan. And then he might learn that actually, yeah, maybe we shouldn't be approving perpetual boosters based on mouse data. And maybe we could be doing, doing more randomized control trials. Um, and in the meantime, maybe he should treasure the responsibility that comes with being the editor-in-chief of science which is you have an institutional legacy. You can be a pundit, you can be a professor, but you can't be the president of Harvard and a pundit professor. You have their choices in life. You can be a pundit and you can, or you can be the editor of the New England Journal, but you can't be both. There are some choices in life. Why? Because the institution has to have credibility and that's more important than your goddamn opinion. And frankly, I don't want your opinion here. Your opinion is really inappropriate. It's inappropriate in so many ways. You are not being fair. And I disagree with some of the things that Florida is doing. I agree with a lot of things they did. I think opening schools was such a good thing that they did that it, 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 in terms of years of life added to their society, they have made a tremendously good call. You should give them credit for that. You screwed up on that, okay? We Democrat professor types screwed up on schools. Why? Because we couldn't see past our hatred of Trump. I could see past it because I'm not a partisan. Actually, I don't really, these things don't, I don't feel an identity as a partisan. I feel an identity as a data person. I really like to look at the data. And I really hate when I look at the data and I don't come to the same conclusion as other people because I know that they're often wrong because I do that because I, I look at the data for a living and I don't internalize these views and I don't take my cues from other people. That's why I knew they were wrong about schools. And that's why I think he's super wrong here and he's doing tremendous damage to to science, the institution, Science Magazine, which is a venerable institution, and also science, the thing that I care most about. So, long video. I don't know if you're going to watch it. Somebody told me I should make it. I thought I'd write an article instead, but this is what you get on this channel. Like, subscribe, comment, leave a message below. I'm professor of Epidemiology. Uh, I don't speak for institutions. I speak for myself. Uh, I think it's unfair to single out one political side and not the other. I think Ashish Jha has made many more errors and bigger errors because they're federal level. I am critical of federal policy because it affects more people. I was critical of Trump's failures and I'm critical of Biden's. And Biden in COVID policy, he's got a lot. He's got a, it's not a little, it's a lot. And I think people are turning a blind eye to that. And I'm gonna have more when my peer review articles, they will eventually be published. They will be published for the same reason the rabbit runs faster than the fox. They'll be published and when they are, I will be back and I will take you through these articles. And some of them, they're really quite good. So. Until next time.